take your Bibles and let's open them, please, back into our verse-by-verse study through John's gospel. We pick up in John chapter five. We're gonna be in verses 30 to 47 this morning. We got a little bit of work to do uh, before we, we, we enter the text. And the work we're gonna do has to do with the context. You know, in Bible study, we understand this statement, context is king. And the idea behind that statement is that every part of the Bible you read, like, look, we're gonna read, what, 17 verses. Well, that little 17 verses resides in the middle of verses that came before it, verses that came after it, books that came before it, books that come after it. Genesis to Revelation. Where does this little 17 verse, where do they fit? If we don't understand the, the context immediately and broader, then you know, we, you don't, we don't understand the text. We don't properly interpret it. And I, I will say we could very well misapply the text itself. So, you know, we've, we're back in our study verse by verse and we've got to dive into this context. We arrive at verse 30, having been in its immediate context, chapter five, verse one, where we watch Jesus heal a lame man. 38 years, this man could not walk. Jesus simply says the words. I mean, he just says to him, get up, pick up your bed and walk. And he does. Been sitting by this pool, superstitiously thinking, you know, when the pool ripples, get me in. I mean, others that were around there, 38 years. The lifespan's not, he's, he's getting at the end of the lifespan of a, of a human being in that day. This was the third sign, okay, in John's gospel. The first sign we covered earlier was the turning water into wine, right at the wedding, Cana. Just after that, Jesus healed a royal official's son. There was another one, you know, Jesus, the man said, come with me so you can touch my son, heal my son, speak over my son, whatever. Maybe, and Jesus didn't have to go. Jesus said, he's fine. And, and then the man goes and his servants come and say, your son's fine. When did it happen? And he goes, that's right when Jesus said that. You know, in John's gospel, we noted that there are seven signs. Now, the, the people disagree on, you know, different lists for this pretty, in, in, in many ways, but there are seven signs. And John, John calls these things signs because yes, they're miraculous events, but they're not, they're not just, well, look what Jesus did. It's what does what Jesus did say about who Jesus is? So important. They're signs. What does a sign do? It points to something, right? So here we're, we know, well, we're just coming off of the third sign in our story so far. Jesus does things that only God does and only God can do. And, and he's not hidden it, has he? He said, God is, he's already said, God is my father. God and I are one. I'm telling you, I'm only telling you what God is telling me. And this is what's so crazy. The religious leaders, those who, those who spend their life dedicated to studying and teaching the word, okay, the, the very same word Jesus is, will speak from, they believe Jesus is a fraud. So, so you got the religious leader saying, he's not who he says he is. And you have Jesus saying, this is who I am. And in a very real sense, you'll feel this in the text today, y'all, it's come down, honestly, to he said, she said. 
because they're both gonna refer to the scripture and they're both gonna refer to God as their father. But it's like, well, he, well, he says this and she says, you know, it's, it's how, does he think, how do these things get resolved? Like, what are you and I to do as, as readers and what were people to do as they watch this? I mean, I let the religious leaders, shouldn't we follow them? And who is this guy? And he says this, how do these things get resolved? How are we gonna know who's telling the truth? See, these are the, these are the kind of questions that get us into our context, okay? This is what's happening and what we're about to step into. I want you there not just intellectually, but may I say, I want you there emotionally. It's part of our hearts, the emotional part of our hearts, our wiring and our being. And I want you there emotionally. One of the, way I can, one of the ways I can hope to get you there is, is with a little music. And so I'm gonna play just a short clip. I just want you to sit in it, okay, and see where... This takes you, at least takes some of us, maybe not all of us. Let's go ahead and play that. And those of you who don't know what that is, okay, listen to me. It is a fact that every legal TV show you have watched in your lifetime is based on the template of Perry Mason, a 50s TV series. Uh, it was a courtroom drama uh, and, and, and truly it spawned and, and the template is still the same, right? Crime, uh, you know, lawyer comes. You know, lawyers battle it out. When you heard that, okay, as as a child, if I, you know, I'm watching that, or you heard that, you knew that a courtroom drama was about to play out. Evidence, witnesses, testimony. Now we are in the context of these verses. Often we think of Jesus on trial right before his, his crucifixion, like there's the trial of Jesus. John says, no, no, Jesus has been on trial since his birth. And it's very much a trial courtroom setting. You'll see it here when we speak, you'll see the language of the court, even in this, in this text we study today. And I want you to, no, and it is a bit of a warning, is John has put you and I in the courtroom, which means there's something for us to do. <clears throat> we'll get to that in just a moment. Bible scholars are divided on how many witnesses Jesus calls and whether it's Jesus who calls them or not. I'll talk about that. For some, he calls five witnesses. For some, there's four. For some, there's three. I'm gonna follow James Montgomery Boyce here. And I'm gonna note that I believe there's three witnesses. And I'll tell you the reason why for that as we go through the text. The first witness is John the Baptist, just to give you a preview of what's coming and you'll see it in the text. The second are the works of Jesus. And the third is the scripture. 
Okay, this, that's the outline we'll move through. Let's start in verse 30. There's some preliminary work to do here as well. Verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let's stop there because I wanna note the posture of Jesus's life. Frederick um, uh, Bruner, Bible scholar, describes Jesus's posture, and I just love his phrase. He calls it deep dependence, deep dependence. And it's reflected, or it's, you know, it's a, it's a deep dependence is then expressed, by the way, in, in his life purpose. So there's deep dependence, which brings out life purpose. I don't do anything that's my will. I do the will of him who sent me. So that's, this is how this works. It's the second time, by the way, uh, you don't need to turn there, but in chapter five that he's stated this, in 519, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. So as Jesus is making his defense, I want us to note, it's not just he's calling witnesses to, to, to make his defense, so to speak, but he's showing us what true life is. Let's not ever miss that as we watch Jesus live. He's showing us what life is. And y'all, life is not a life of independence. And, and you know, it kind of cuts against the grain for us as Western, American Westerns, Westerners, so to speak. Do you see here life? Life as it was intended to be for you and me is a life of deep dependence. And out of that deep dependence, we find purpose, our life purpose and life meaning, even as Jesus did. Verses 31 to 32, we're, we're coming into this, this uh, presentation, this call of witnesses. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Again, we're, we're in the preliminary statements. Deuteronomy 19.15, it's up on the screen. You don't need to turn there. You must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Jesus is not above the law. It's, isn't it a strange statement? Jesus himself, I mean, he's the son of God. He's sinless, he's holy. <clears throat> and yet he says, look, if I'm the only one who says I am who I am, it's not valid. And we wanna go, no, you can say whatever you want. But, but again, why is Jesus doing this? I'll talk about that in a moment because it's in the passage, but he, Jesus is under the law. You see that? Jesus will fulfill the law. So he recognizes to the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders who are saying, you're a liar, you know, you're a fraud. He says, well, I'm, if, if I'm the only one who says it, then, then, then my, my single testimony is not valid. It's not admissible. Now, all agree that the other witness, verse 32, there's another witness, <clears throat> all agree that that's the father. That's the father. It comes evident in verse 37, he says, and the father who sent me himself has borne witness about me. Okay, it's the father. And then right here, we have to make an interpretive decision then. And this is why I've got three witnesses instead of four or five. <clears throat> Do we see in the passage, the father as a witness? Certainly you can, but I, I'm, I'm gonna, 
I, I'm gonna see, I see it differently. This is again, Boyce's understanding. And here's where we go. Jesus has said twice, I can do nothing on my own. <clears throat> I'm, what I'm saying, what you're seeing is only what I see the father doing. And so here in this moment when, <clears throat> you know, we're, they're calling witnesses to, to determine who's, who's true or what's the truth here, who's right about who, I would suggest that <clears throat> the father is calling the witnesses and he calls three. I just, I think it, it, it's, it's acceptable to the text and it puts the weight of the witnesses, like the credibility of the witnesses and the truthful of the witnesses at the feet of the father. So don't, don't miss this. So when, the, when, when these witnesses are called, don't miss who's presenting them. God the father presenting these witnesses for God the son. Are you with me? So there's three. The first witness, look at it, verses 33 to 35. You sent to John, he's born witness to the truth. <clears throat> Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. That's very important. This is all about so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. The first witness, John the Baptist. What does John the Baptist speak? What is his testimony about Jesus? Don't need to turn here. I'll just quote a few statements from him. Chapter one, verse 29. He saw Jesus coming toward him <clears throat> and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Later, he's speaking of the baptism of Jesus. John says, God, the father told me, that the one who I see the Holy Spirit descend and remain on is the one who baptizes in the spirit. And I've seen him and borne witness. This is the son of God. There's John the Baptist's testimony, if you will. They clearly heard it. They did not believe it. What's interesting, he uses this word, you rejoiced in him for a while. That idea is, there's a sense in, in that word of revelry. Y'all, when John the Baptist showed up on the scene, please know this, Jesus was a nobody. It'd be like, you know, you two's in concert and the opening act is XYZ band, nobody. <laughs> you know, that, that's the way it was. John the Baptist was the show. And he's saying here, you guys, you guys got all caught up in the spectacle of John the Baptist, but you didn't hear him and you didn't listen. <clears throat> the second witness of the father, note verse 36, but the testimony I have is greater than that of John <clears throat> for the works that the father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the father has sent me. Well, the second, the second witness are the works of Jesus. We've already noted at this point in the gospel that, that, that even before he says these words, we've hit three signs, right? So we've got the three signs and those signs all point to with Jesus. He's, only, he's doing only what God can do. Jesus, John also tells us, and this I think is important to know because we don't get it all here. <laughs> he says in the very last, the very last verse of his book, 
He says, if I told you everything he said and everything he did, there aren't enough books in the world to contain it. Now, that's hyperbole. <laughs> but the point is, John didn't include it all, which, which would tell us even now in terms of the works of Jesus, the religious leaders, they've seen more than what we've just read. They've heard more than what we've just read up to this point in John's gospel, but they did not believe. It's also interesting that Jesus says, the works that I am doing. He's presently doing one of those works. Like the trial that we're in right now, the courtroom is one of those works. And why can we say this? Look at verse 34. It says, not the testimony I have is, not, the, not that the testimony that I receive is from men, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Please understand, everything Jesus says, everything Jesus does is so that you and you and you and me and they can be saved. And therefore, when we speak of the works of Jesus, understand them not just as the seven signs in John, but every word he said and everything he did for all of it was that we might be redeemed, brought back to the Father. Does that make sense? So the works are way bigger than just those signs is the point I'm making. First witness, John the Baptist. Second witness, the works of Jesus. And then the third witness, Verses 37 to 47. And the father who sent me has, born, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. <clears throat> For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The third witness of the Father on behalf of the son is the scripture, the scripture. And do you notice, let's just take what John has put in and you know, John is very picky about what he curates and puts in this book. He's put three times as much about the scripture as he has John the Baptist and even the works themselves. Three times as much. Listen to Boyce on this. You'll see it on the screen. I'm gonna quote from him. He says, this is the most important of the three. For of the three witnesses, the witness of John the Baptist, the signs and the scriptures, it is the evidence of the scriptures upon which Jesus most fully dwells. This witness is not referred to in passing, 
as is the witness of the signs, nor is it overshadowed by others, as is the case with the witness of John the Baptist. Instead, Jesus concentrates upon this testimony so much that the verses that deal with it, 37 to 47, emerge as one of the most significant summaries of the importance of scripture in the gospels. If you, if you think about it, <laughs> what he's saying here is that wherever you stand with Jesus, okay, it ultimately, <laughs> it will be not what you think about Jesus or not what you've heard other people say per se. It'll be what do you do with what the scriptures say about Jesus as the, as the full and final authority. I want you to think about what Jesus is saying and, and who he's saying it to, okay? He's speaking to those who spend their whole life studying what? The scriptures. Y'all, this is not a group of people, and yes, it's men, the scribes and Pharisees. They don't have a quiet time then go about their other work. Their life is a dedicated, quite frankly, academic, doctoral level engagement with the scripture. I mean, if, if you have a hundred verses memorized, you have nothing on any of them. They've got the book of Isaiah, the whole, you see what I'm saying? They're experts beyond anything we can comprehend. And he says to them, you do not have the word of God abiding in you. How is it that such biblically saturated people can actually be, according to Jesus, biblically bankrupt? What is going on? Jesus answers the question in part at least. Look again at verse 41. He says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. He says in verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus is telling us something so important about biblical faith, about trust in him. He lived his life, Jesus, for an audience of one. He didn't live for the approval of others. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't seek his, his approval on a horizontal plane, did he? he? He sought it on a vertical plane from the Father. This is so crucial for us. Think about it. Where did Jesus, where did Jesus derive his self-identity? From the Father. Where did Jesus derive his purpose in life? Like, why am I here on the planet? What's my purpose? From the Father. Where did Jesus derive his meaning in life? From the Father. And it begs the question for you and I, where do you derive your self-identity, your purpose, and your meaning? Where do I? From you? Oh, that was a good message, Lloyd, or approval from you. From, from my peers, from 
corporate climbing or achievement. Do you see what I'm saying? Heart? No, 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 no. From the Father, from the Father. And they would not believe because they sought it from those around them, the approval of humanity. Now, what Jesus does here in the courtroom to me is utterly fascinating. <clears throat> if the religious leaders, you know, they're standing here, if the religious leaders have anything going for them, I must say it's the scripture and their knowledge of it. Okay, that's what he, that they've got. It's, it's kind of like, I'd say it this way. Their key witness is the Bible, so to speak. You know, it's also, but it's the scripture, their charges against Jesus, look, you know, they're, they're, they're able to say, look, look what it says and you're breaking it. Look what it says and you're breaking it. See, this is their star witness. Moses said that our God is one God and you claim to be God's equal. But what Jesus does is so crazy. He takes their star witness and he brings it to himself and uses their star witness to validate himself and condemn them. This like, this like law and order is not this good. You know what I'm saying? Nothing's this good. This is profound, truly profound what he does. Look at verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. I've, I've said this before over the years. I, got, I, got, I recall getting my first Bible when I was 12 or 13. I did not grow up in a Christian home. My mom and dad did not know Christ when I was 12 or 13. They did later in life. But they got me a Bible. And I think it's what many people who never darken the door of a church or don't, because it's like, this is a very good book. <laughs> like, I think this would be a good thing for you to read. So they gave me a Bible. I remember it was, it was real stiff, shiny black cover. It was a King James. I thought it was like any other book. Where do you start reading in any book? You start where? At the beginning. I started at the beginning. I stopped at Leviticus. Right, you, and, and I'm not the only one. I, there's no way I'm the only one that stops at Leviticus. Because um, Genesis and Exodus, you know, have those stories in there. It's crazy. It's like, wow. I, was, I, did, I spoke on this last week, of course, at Brentwood and Derek Bell came up to me and said, Lloyd, this, and I, I thought this story was so good. But he, 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 said, he said, he and his boss, a guy named Bob Buford, who wrote the book Halftime, they were with um, Jim Collins, for anyone who's maybe in the business environment. He, he, he probably wrote one of the standard texts of business, you know, good to great and other things. But they were with Jim Collins and Jim Collins had, was telling them that he, uh, he thought, yeah, I wanna, I wanna understand Christianity. And so I thought I, I just need to read their book. So Jim Collins said, I got a Bible, I started reading it. I got to Leviticus <laughs> and it's like all these lambs and animals and blood and sacrifice. And, and Derek said, Bob Buford told Jim Collins, said, look, go back and read the gospel of John. And Derek said they were with him later. And he said to them, you know, I, I, I did. I went back and read the gospel of John. And he goes, I take it that Jesus 
is the uber lamb. Yeah. See? Yeah. From Genesis to Revelation, this book, okay, please hear this. It's all about Jesus. It's, it, yes, there's moral principles in here. Look, if you just follow the moral principles of the Bible, your life, quite frankly, will generally go better than if you don't. Yes, there's instruction for living and follow the instructions of the Bible. Your life will probably go better than, 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 than most. Um, it, there's wisdom in the Bible. Uh, th- this book explains the beginning of all things. It explains why we're here. It explains how things end. But, but primarily, fundamentally, essentially don't miss this. It is a book about Jesus. And until it's read, it's read, okay, with the key, which is Jesus, then it will not and it cannot make sense. Luke's gospel, Jesus is resurrected. You know this story. Two of the disciples walking to Emmaus. They're so dejected. They thought he was the one. Now he's dead. Of course, some people say he's, he's risen, but they don't think so. And Jesus joins them. This, to me, this is one of the funniest stories in the gospels. Because two guys don't know it's Jesus and turn to him and, and, Je- and Jesus says to them, hey, what, what, what are you guys talking about? And, they're, and they turn to him literally and go, are you, are you nuts? Where, where, where have you been? You do not been in Jerusalem and know that the, the one who said he was, you know, they go off on Jesus, you know, telling him, you know, well, you're crazy. You don't know what happened. And then Luke records these words. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Which is why here with these religious leaders who know the stories of Moses, who adore Moses, who worship Moses, he says to them, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Rob and I talk about this often because we compare notes, you know, and talk about people we meet who, who, who are at fellowship, you know, who, who join the church, perhaps even in a, an intro class, which I'll walk over to here between services. Because when you talk to people, at least he and I, at least he and I, and because we've compared notes, say, you know, what do people say? Why do people say they they kind of join fellowship? Man, I want to say seventy to eighty percent of the people I talk to say, well, because you know we like fellowship because we teach the Bible, and and Rob and I are like, like, like so grateful for that, and so terrified by that. I'm glad people say that, but, but God forbid, and I mean that, that we would be a place where people know us as a community of faith as, as people who know their Bible versus people who know Jesus. I, I, I take it as a compliment. I'm glad people say we teach the Bible, but I would, I, I would much rather people say because they know Jesus because I see Jesus in them and I experience Jesus when I'm there, when I, I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus because, do you see what I'm saying? That would be our prayer. Close your Bibles, put your notes away. We've got a little work to do.
I mentioned that when we are in this text that John has put us in the courtroom. And I mean this when I, I, I don't think, you're not, a, you're, we're not sitting in the jury box. We're on trial. I'm on trial. You're on trial. Witnesses are called. Evidence presented that we would decide what we believe. The father, this is why I I, I go to, I, I think the father presents these witnesses, and he is a witness himself, of course, who have given truthful testimony. John the Baptist, the works of Jesus, the testimony of scripture. Now, here's what's so important. God the Father has determined that these three witnesses are enough. I mean, I, I know I hear people say this, you know, you know, I'm not gonna put my trust in Jesus until he does this, or unless God can answer this question, I can't put, I, I, I totally get that, a, a, a truly human response. But according to this text, God the Father says, I'm giving you three witnesses. I, I don't know that he promises any more. <laughs> Here's three, and if God the Father has chosen them, what's the most important thing about any witness? Are they credible and will they tell the truth? God the Father picked them, y'all. Speaking of the scriptures, you know, they, when we say, you know, they had the scripture, please note that they had, They had the the whole Old Testament. And don't miss this. This was enough for them to put their trust in Jesus and enough for them to be condemned. It's all in here. Now think about this. We get the rest. You ever think about what we have? Like they didn't have this, okay? Four historically valid accounts of Jesus. We have letters that those who walk with Jesus wrote that tell us what Jesus meant by when he said and what it means to trust and follow him. We today have a letter in in this book that tells us how the world ends, where it's all going, what's gonna happen and why? So what will you and what will I do with these three witnesses? That's what I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do and decide. Not tomorrow, I would encourage you, today. Is your verdict, Jesus is who he says he is? I trust him, he's worthy of worship. Is your verdict, Jesus is a fraud? Therefore, he's worthy of death as a liar. See, there's only the two places. And you go, well, truly, on this. Well, I'm undecided. Well, there's no such thing in the Bible. Okay, so there's no fence. You can't stand on the fence and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm undecided. It's okay if you don't know yet. Please hear me on this. I'm not condemning anyone. I'm saying, but if you're here, oh, you're in jeopardy. <laughs> if you haven't stepped here to trust him. 
And I'm gonna invite you for these moments, just you reflect. Where are you with Jesus? Let me invite you to now take the communion elements. If you've put your trust in Christ, this table is for you. Because we, we, re, we remind ourselves of what the gospel is. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. His body broken, his blood shed. This is what we do in the Lord's table. And if you're a guest of ours today and you've put your trust in Jesus, we welcome you to the table. If you've not put your trust in Jesus, then, you know, it, I'm not, again, not seeking to offend anyone, but it would be, you wouldn't participate in the table just because you you're not there yet. That's okay. With the elements in hand, let's stand, please. In this table, Father, we remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We come with great gratitude. We who celebrate it today recognize the three witnesses you present are valid witnesses. They're telling the truth. Jesus is who he says he is. Lord Jesus, for your body broken on our behalf, we, re we say thank you and we receive the bread. Your blood was poured out, Lord Jesus. Life is in the blood. That means your life was poured out because it required your life to satisfy the wrath of a holy God against sin, our sin, not yours. Thank you for dying in our place. We proclaim that you did it historically and you will return again one day to set all things right. This we believe. Receive the cup. There, there's some in the someone I could be speaking to one person. If I am, I'm, I'm talking to you. But whether in the room or online, maybe you haven't put your trust in Jesus. That's why we're here. And if you would like to talk about it, look, I'm going to put my email up on the screen. Email me. And, and let's just get some time together where you might feel more comfortable with just you and I having a conversation about where you are in your walk, you know, your knowing of Jesus. So just email me. We'll set up some time here in the coming weeks and we can talk about that. Nothing more important, nothing, nothing more important. Don't quench the ember if it's there. What do you, what do you say, what do you mean by that? What I mean, if it's kind of on your mind, like I think I want to do that, don't blow it. 
Just do it. Because that's the Spirit of God at work in you. There will be people up front when we dismiss in a moment too that you can come and pray with, talk to. Jesus has come, you all, so that we can know the heart of the Father like He does. That's why He's come. And it's through Christ and Christ alone that we, that we get to know the heart of our Father. And I will say this, it's in Him, through Him, when, when, when with Him, that the deepest longings of our heart are satisfied, that we know our sins are forgiven, that we are redeemed and whole. We know that we don't just come to the Father. As we're going to sing right now, we run to the Father. Because we know Him as Jesus knows Him.